Hello and welcome to the That's Afterlife podcast with DMS Ranson and Adrian Mills. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is a brand new podcast with me and with my colleague and friend, Adi, who worked on That's Life for more years than I can think. How long did you work on that programme, Aid? Do you know, Esther, I, I worked on it for five years. I left for two and then I came back for two. Ah, boomerang. Mind you, you take your life in your hands sharing this with me because I've got into awful trouble. You don't have to tell me, Esther, because I thought with the first programme, we'd be talking about people like perhaps Meghan and Harry or whatever's happening in the world. But no, the question on everybody's lips that has stopped me in the last couple of days, did you hear Esther Ranson on the radio? Maybe you'd like to explain. Well, maybe I ought to apologise. You see, it went like this. I got all mixed up when I was talking to Chris Evans on Virgin Radio. And in the middle of it all, I said, bum. Now... That is an absolutely forbidden word in my family, among my grandchildren, because they go to schools where they're not allowed to say bum, they're not allowed to say fat, and they're not allowed to say stupid. So I suddenly thought maybe they have the similar rules on Virgin. And I said to Chris Evans, um, am I allowed to say that word or is Virgin pure? And he said, you're Dame Esther, you can say anything you like. Well, well, what do you expect? I suddenly found myself reminiscing about an interview I'd done with Susanna Reid when she was on breakfast television working for the BBC and I said an eight-letter word that rhymes with bullocks. I, I think we get where you're going with this. <laughs> so I, 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 I mentioned that I had said that and that Susanna had apologised for me at the time, which point Chris suddenly, obviously blushing to the roots of his wonderful red hair, said, uh, we're going to stop now and please don't feel that you have to do the hat trick with saying it three times, which is interesting because I was actually around when the F word was said for the very first time on BBC television because I was a researcher. So in those days, that was defended by the BBC on the grounds that it was discussing censorship. Anyway, I promise that the words, no words beginning with B, whether they've got three letters or eight letters will drop from my lips. Yeah, and to think the uh, title Dame, I thought, gave you some sense of credibility. Um, did Chris have to apologise for you, Esther? I don't know whether he had to, but he did several times. I, I, as we all have done over many years. <laughs> Getting back to what we're here to discuss, do you remember That's Life with Affection, Adie? I, it's the happiest time I've ever had in television because it was a family and you felt you were doing good. That was the important factor involved in the programme. The thing about That's Life, for people who may not remember it as vividly as you and I do, is that it was a really good mixture of complete farce and lunacy, but some very serious stuff. So I hope we're going to have the same sort of balance of light and shade in this podcast. What do you think? Oh, I certainly hope so. And that's why yeah, we want to hear from all the listeners about what's happening in their, their lives and have they got something special to share? You know, are they fed up? What's making you mad? What's making you happy? Talented pets, talented tots, you know, you know, you name it. We're here for you. And also we've got a special guest in each of the podcasts. And I'm really happy to say that on this first one, we've got Mr. Anton Dubeck. And you have a little history there with him, don't you, Esther? Indeed. I bet there are loads of questions you'd like to ask him. There are loads of questions that I want to ask him. And also, you know what occurred to me, Aidy? 
there's a new term that I only learned yesterday, which is life hacks. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. Right. It appears that a life hack is a handy tip to make life easier. You know, for example, when your pickle jar is stuck and you can't get the lid off, if you bang the top of the jar on the floor, it loosens the lid. Ah. If you've got flowers like hydrangeas, which I love, that droop it when you put them in the vase, if you put a little drop of liquid soap and a little bit of sugar and you cut the stems obliquely, they will live for weeks. And I'm sure we can't give, you know, full scale consumer tips on the podcast because that will take an army of lawyers to protect us from the many libel actions we used to get on that slide. But we can do life hacks. So if you've got any ideas of life hacks to send us to. Oh, and the email address, because um, we all need a life hack, is hello at thatsafterlife.com. Hello at thatsafterlife.com. So, Adrian, bring me up to date with everything that's happened to you since That's Life ended in 1994. Oh, my goodness me. Since I left That's Life, I ended up doing lots of travel programmes, um, mainly for um, Sky and was travelling the world until, until my boss told me that audience research said I was very good, but they wanted to see me in the studio and the younger presenters could travel the world. That didn't go down well. Um, I got married. I have uh, a beautiful stepdaughter who now uh, is living out in Thailand, running a hotel. So there's been lots going on. And now it would be said, I've, I've got a face for radio and their podcasts, obviously. In addition, I think the listener would like to know that you run restaurants and that must be pretty tough. It is very stressful. And certainly at this current time, it's a complete nightmare. Open, shut, closed again, um, doing very well with delivery. It's a, a chain of Thai restaurants. But to Esther, but you know, what about you? Every time I pick up a newspaper or put on the radio, you're there. You've been a very busy woman. Well, for some reason, I'm now treated as head of spokespeople for little old people. I suppose because I'm a little old person. But um, it is funny, isn't it, how people label you? The one thing I've never been used as is a spokesperson for the dental industry. Oh, my goodness me, you would be prime candidate. Do you remember on that slide how there was a time when people just didn't put my name on the letters they sent us? They just drew teeth on them. I used to get phone calls in the office and they say, can I speak to teeth? And I hate to tell you, we all knew who they were talking about. I need to ask you a question about Essa, because your teeth seem to be much bigger than they are now. Did you, in the end, have dental surgery or did you have them filed down? It is a well-known fact that you will not find in any dental encyclopedia that as you get older, your teeth shrink. Really? That's my, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Actually, funny enough, we've launched uh, with uh, various uh, promotions recently um, and already we're getting emails in. I've got one from Hampshire, which is very apt from this conversation. Uh, she's an office worker, I take it. Uh, Dear Esther and Adrian, uh, was the That's Life office fun, tense or stressful? Well, in my experience, it was all those things, wasn't it? I mean, you never knew whether someone in the corner of the office was going to open a black rubbish bag and find a stuffed cat in it, not as an expression of abuse, but because somebody had a beautiful cat that was badly stuffed. You may remember that moment. Mimi the cat, I remember it well. Mimi the cat. Or there'd be some 
wicked con man who was threatening us, I once was told that I would end up in a concrete overcoat in the Hackney Marshes. And that was your editor. <laughs> I have to say, I always remember my first day or one of the first weeks on the That's Life, walking into the office and uh, there was, um, I think it might have been Peter Bottomley, who was, um, what was he? He was the Minister for Transport, I seem to remember. And then in the other corner was Doc Cox with a show-jumping hamster. And I just thought, you're going to like it in here, Adrian. And that was the thing about that show. And, and whereas bits of it um, have been copied by other programmes, you don't get the same range on any of them. You don't get Peter Bottom, who is now Sir Peter Bottomley, actually. And you're quite right. He was there because he wanted to help us with our campaign to get seatbelts made obligatory for children in particularly in the backs of cars. But I don't remember the show jumping hamster. What I do remember is the show jumping rabbits who kept bonking in the studio. It wasn't just the rabbits that used to get up to that sort of behaviour, Esther. I know what that production team was like. I won't name names. Well, quite right. But no, it, it, why didn't anyone involve me in this? <laughs> yes, moving swiftly on. I remember the rabbits in the studio. That was a complete nightmare, wasn't it? Because they were all over the place. Yes, and our editor, who was a rather puritanical but very clever Yorkshireman, decided that it would be too much for the viewers to share. And so he kept trying us to cut, trying to make us cut away from the rabbits. But our director, who was a bit of a bonker himself, kept zooming in on the rabbits. There was a lot of tension in that area, in the area of taste. They were show jumping rabbits, weren't they? I seem to think. Well, that was a theory. And that, that is the ridiculous thing, isn't it? And that's what people, you know, to this day don't quite take on board. 22 million viewers uh, on a fairly regular basis used to watch the programme. And, you know, that's flattering. And, and it's incredible that people still talk about the programme and have very fond memories of it. Do you miss it? because you were the host for 21 years um well the answer is yes and no i i miss the fun of it i miss the direct contact with viewers i miss the huge range you never knew what every time you opened a letter do you remember letters oh, and opening ten thousand letters a week used to come into the office absolutely absolutely um do i miss the fact that you were never off duty that you worked you know morning noon and night that your weekends weren't your own, that you didn't actually see your own family unless you deliberately carved out time to go on holiday and, and be with them. I, I think work-life balance, well, I don't know about you, but but I, I think that's where we failed, actually, because you can tell from the title that we confused the programme with life. We called it That's Life and it became our lives. Mm. Do you think your family life re really suffered? I think so. Yeah, I think the kids would say so, actually. You know, we had we did have lovely holidays and, uh, you know, we bought the little place where I'm living now in the New Forest so that they could have fun and climb wild trees and all that. But I think they would have liked to have a bit more time with us. And I think we denied them that. Mm. Is the Esther Ranson on screen different to the Esther Ranson at home? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I am. In what way? Well, I'm particularly incompetent. I like to convey on screen an impression of competence. We're about to hear from Anton Dubeck that I don't always manage that. <laughs> but that's what I like to convey, that I sort of know what I'm talking about because I've done a bit of research and I've talked to people who've experienced things and asked them questions and so on and spoken to the experts. At home, I am absolutely hopeless. My, my desk is piled right now with unopened envelopes. 
Mm. which is ridiculous ridiculous you know the bailiffs may be in any moment <laughs> i have fantastic news for our listener because i've just seen that anton dubeck is here with us my love can you hear me <laughs> i can hear you loud and clear i want to introduce you to my colleague adrian mills hello anton lovely to see you lovely to see you excuse me um it just happens, you know, in podcasts. Hang on. Hello. Hello, Hello darling. I'm just. Doing... Well, Adrian, it's been lo- it's been lovely to uh, see you. How are you? Who's that woman that on the phone? I don't know. She's like a nightmare. She's never been any different. You know that, right? Isn't that the truth? I have no idea who that was. I'm going to tell you a little story about Esther Ranson. Oh, I'm uh, pleased. Right. About the busiest woman in the world. We got together, and I came into your living room. And and there you were, sort of lounging on a chaise lounge in some sort of I thought you in a, something sort of with a bespoke sort of taffeta thing with a, and a little bit of ostrich feather. And, <laughs> and I walked in like this, and the camera crew were all there. Yeah. I went ah, and I went oh, excellent, right, brilliant. You, I'm delighted. Anyway, and we had a bit of a hug and all that. So in the old days, like you're allowed to touch people, so we had a little hug and all that sort of stuff. Lovely jubbly. Anyway, you went away, and we were supposed to start rehearsing the following day. I, I said, okay, see you about 10 o'clock, and we'll be there till about six. She went, oh, no, I can't do it. I've got lunch. I can do, <laughs> I can do, I can do, I can do nine <laughs> until 9.45, and then I could probably do three till four, but that's, I'm not really sure. I went, oh, okay, fair enough. The whole week was like, I went, what about Wednesday? He went, no, Wednesday's very clear. I've only got a meeting in the morning and then an afternoon meeting as well. So I could probably do, I don't know, 8.30 till 9. Is that any good to you? I went, probably not really. It should take me four hours to get to you. So fine, okay. Anyway, this, the first time we ever met was when I burst into your drawing room. The second time we ever met was at the <laughs> photo shoot a week later and then done a scrap of training. Was this the moment, Anton, that you realised that this was the year you weren't going to win Strictly Come Dancing? <laughs> Well, the first year, of course, I came third from top. The second year with Esther, I came third from bottom. <laughs> so, Anton, I really want to know how difficult a pupil, once you actually did get to rehearse with Esther, how were her left feet? Were they truly dreadful? Well, she had more of them than I was banking on. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, um, I, it, was, it was amazing, really, because... This is the very beginnings of Strictly Come Dancing, because we did two series in the first year. And the first lady I danced with, Leslie Gow, I don't like to talk about ex-wives, I apologise. But I I danced with Leslie Gow, and she was not bad. You know, she cracked on, and we almost made the final lovely jubbly. And then I get Her her Majesty, Dame Esther Ronson, and... (laughs) In she comes, telling me she's got lunches and she can't make the first week. And so, oh, fair dues. I give her a juice. She never missed a minute from that point on. But, and we walked in the studio and I I realised at that point in time that one size did not fit all. So anything that I did with Leslie Garrett was not going to work with her ladyship. And I, okay, fair enough. All right, I learned that lesson very immediately. Secondly, I'd, I hadn't realised that short-term memory loss was a real thing. <laughs> Hold on, I've let you ripple on. I've let you ripple on. I thought you two got on together. Hold on, hold oh, on. Oh, I love her. There is a difference, Anton <laughs> Dubeck, between 
short-term memory, long-term memory, and muscle memory. Oh, that will Remember, <laughs> when I was in my taffeta on the chaise long, I did say to you what I know to be the truth. I have no muscle memory. I didn't learn to walk until I was 18 months old. I really don't know how you remember steps, which are all the same to me, until, until, now, I, Anton, I don't know if you remember this. One rehearsal, I was brilliant. I remembered everything. Yes. Because I'd had a large glass of wine. And that stopped me overthinking everything. Yes. And it released me to remember what you taught me. Unfortunately, we were wired for sound. Do you remember? You wore a microphone, which you never took off, <laughs> yeah. including when you had a pee. Anyway, the bosses heard me reveal that I'd had a glass of wine and they refused to let me for health and safety reasons. We could have won that series. Could have been us. We wiped the floor with Jill Hoffman's jive kicks, had it not been for health and safety. I reckon a case of Sauvignon Blanc would have done you the world of good every Saturday night. I'll tell you a little secret as well. Uh, was, it, was it series two or three that Erin danced with Julian Clary? It was mine. It, my, my, oh, yes, I remember. She used, she used to bring in her own frocks for the show on Saturday night. Not many people know that, but she used to bring in her own frocks uh, for the ballroom dances. And um, she used to smuggle in the frock bag yeah. wine for Julian because he couldn't. Do you remember the first week he came out, he did cha-cha, I think, and it's as though his, it, his head had been detached from his body and nothing moved. Yes. They wouldn't let him wear the whole garb. They wouldn't let him put the whole... Uh, the face on and all that sort of stuff. So he was he was sort of naked, really, and he couldn't perform. So Erin uh, just shipped in a couple of bottles of uh, Chardonnay and off he went. He was marvelous, made the final. Can I just say something? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned naked. Can I just give you one piece of advice? Do not dance naked. Whatever they pay you, don't do it. Because as John Gielgud once said. The difficulty about dancing naked is not everything stops dancing at the same time. <laughs> Certainly not 7.30 on BBC One. That's, uh, can I, if that is the case, Esther, what, what were Esther's best moves? Please tell me she had some, or was she just led around the floor by you? Unfortunately, in the rumba week two, and, uh, and I remember you coming in to me on the Monday morning when I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. I went, really? And you said... Um, I'm going to have to take on, I'm going to need something that takes me out of being me and I need to be somebody else in order to play a role or play a character. Yeah. So you came in with the wig. Do you remember the red wig? <laughs> you pulled on, you pulled on the red wig. If I may say, it might, may I say, it's just ill-fitting. If I, and it always at <laughs> a little jaunty angle. And you came in with the wig and you went, there you go. And I went, oh, hello. And um, we danced the rumba to the look of love. I mean, it was the look oh. of something. I'm not sure that. But it was like, I remember us doing it on the Saturday night and it was as though we'd never <laughs> met. But you still got through. You still got through. You beat Carol Vorderman. Yeah, well, bless her. Thank God for that. But she was very kind and was slightly worse than me. You did have a garter on for the tango the following week. Do you remember? Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm going to whiz on a garter, you said. I'm putting on, I can't play this role as me. I need to take on the character of someone else, you declared. <laughs> You're going, and you said to me, I'm going to wear a garter. I went, oh, hello. I bet you are. I want you to touch it. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> It was your idea to bloody touch it, not mine. Listen, I'll tell you something you don't know. 
I can do the Charleston because I learned the Charleston when I learned the waltz. Unbelievable. And in those Unbelievable. days... Unbelievable. We didn't do Charleston no, in those days. absolutely not. So many of the dancers have lifts in them now. Yeah. So you can do lifts all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have done about a 15-second dance and been in the air for the rest of it. <laughs> I could have carried you onto the floor. <laughs> was she intimidating? Oh, yes, absolutely. to start with, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking oh, about... Get away. I'm, I mean, I've only been in the game for five minutes. And and then suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm with the... Well... The most famous lady to have uh, of, uh, have appeared on television. Really, she was the she was the girl. She was the number one. She was, you know, we had Brucey hosting the show, the number one fella, and we've got the number one girl on the show. You have got Esther Ronson, <laughs> uh, and 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 they've given me to her. Um, so I'd watched uh, That's Life and um, you know sausages and all the old stuff that goes with it. So I knew Esther. And she was, and in, don't forget as well in those days, there were only three channels on a telly. So, you know, your audiences were like about 45 million. So it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. people people say this a program they're making now is the greatest program and they've got 4 million people. And you go, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's oh, different. Unbelievable. It is different. It's a different ball game altogether. And so Esther was, you know, and so I'm with Esther Ranson. So I had to really, really, I had to be really aware of my P's and Q's. <laughs> I want to ask you about some of your other partners because there are all kinds of rumours and I don't know if they're true. So, Anne Widdicombe. Unbelievable. Is it true that she insisted that the wardrobe department make bloomers for her underneath all her floaty dresses so that as you swung her around the floor, there were no glimpses of any anything... Uh, Un, 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 unspeakable. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, she wore these long, long sort of, I say bloomers, but probably leggings she had made in the same as, uh, certainly in things like the Latin costumes, which might have been a bit shorter and shown a, a hint of ankle. She didn't want any flesh to be on view. I, I thought that was a blessing. After me, you then began to choreograph comedy, didn't you? And I've always wondered whether we would have done better, given my inadequacy of my uh, muscle memory. But I'm not, you know, I think, I think you do need Anne Whittacombe being flying across the floor and the knowledge that she's an ex-home secretary or whatever she was, actually. You ha it has to be, yeah, you have to be yeah. situational. Otherwise, it just becomes a bit, you know, that thing where people try to be funny, it just goes like that. Yeah. Can I ask another question go about, yeah, go ahead. about another partner? Is it true that the lovely Nancy Delolio had a bottle of champagne in her dressing room, which she would share with people after every show? Before, if you ask her nicely. Yes, yes, yes. Was she ever in the dance-off drunk? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember, actually. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is yes. <laughs> Anton, Judy Murray, did you partner her? Yes, I did indeed. I mean, I had Judy Murray in the air for as much time as I could. You, you know, had most of them. Most, Most of them. I, I find they're safer when they're not in contact with the ground. <laughs> it's easier to choreograph. So you can sort of get away with only choreographing half a dance. You know, you can, you always know when somebody's playing for time because they'll start on the balcony and walk down the stairs either side. Yes. And you know, hello, he's playing for time here. Yeah? He's going to get to the ground for about, for about 45 seconds. <laughs> and they sort of do two steps down, one step back, do a shimmy, have a wink, and then off they go. And it's all just blagging. When you see, 
the lineup and you see some obvious uh, talent that's going to win, you know what I'm going to say. And you see what you've been lumbered with. <laughs> Is there a moment when your heart sinks and your gut clenches and you think, you know, you have that brilliant smile and you hug each other and you say, it's the dream of your life to dance with the first. <laughs> Surely in your head and your heart, you're saying, oh God, am I going to be out week one again? It's so funny, the, the, the launch show is such a funny show because we're all stood on the floor there. And then normally, they normally do it. And then the, the lady celebrities are on the stairs and then they walk down the stairs to test. And all the boys are there all flexing and sort of all pert with a bit of lycra, giving it all of that and preening and all that sort of stuff and clenching their buttocks and all that sort of stuff. And then the ladies' celebrities come down the stairs to Tess and Tess goes, oh, what do you think? And then they go, oh, nice. And they go, have you got your eye on anyone? They go, oh, we might have. And, um, and down, they, down comes the lingerie, 25-year-old lingerie model walking down the stairs to Tess. And you can see in the whole room, the whole room turns and looks at me and goes, she's not dancing with you, old son. <laughs> and, and so down she comes and then, she, and then they go, I dance with Aliash. And he minces off and sweeps her away and off they go. And then the second one comes down, the former gymnast, 26-year-old former gymnast comes down. <laughs> and as one, the room turns and looks at me and goes, definitely not with you. And then off she goes, Giovanni has a mint, off she goes. <laughs> And then the side doors of the building open and in comes mine. They won't trust mine with the stairs unaided. And in she comes. And they go, there's yours. Oh, thank you very much. And, I, and you know, and every year I don't mind because what you don't want, I've, I've realised over the years, and this is why I think you would have benefited from doing the show now rather than when you did, is that you don't want somebody who's all right, who's not bad, who's okay. You want somebody amazing or you want somebody terrible. Because if they're amazing, you just put together some nice dances. If they're a shocker, you can get away with murder. It's brilliant. You can fly them in, you can pick them up. I mean, what are they gonna do? Give you a one instead of a two? I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> can I ask you, Anton, one of the things that we're offering our guests is the opportunity to talk about a cause that you feel strongly about that you support and you think is important and you want to spread awareness of and interestingly to me you have picked the silver line why is it that you've picked the silver line well a lot of people in the ballroom dancing world they are of a certain age and i know people um certainly the social dancers and then they do it together and i love that because i think dancing and dance schools and social dancing is i think personally i think it's massively massively important it's a massive thing that we've always done in this country and i think it, it's sort of intrinsic to us and our values as uh, as a country so now that we we can't dance together we can't yeah. go to tea dances and so on you 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 worry about the isolation of older people you know the one thing about isolation is is you don't want to become isolated and and that's the big big problem with all of mm. this so by being able to pick up the phone i mean you told me a story one day of an old boy who uh spoke to somebody at the end of the day and, and he just thanked them for ringing because that was the first person he'd spoken to all day there's no old boy let me tell you this story very very briefly we did a a tea dance at the festival hall in a lovely room there this old boy called wilf he danced he was there for two hours he danced for two hours the whole the whole time 
had a cup of tea, danced. One of the girls danced with her, danced with another one, danced two hours. Got back in the bus, went home. The nurse came up to me afterwards. She said, it's amazing, you know. He said, Wilf, who danced. I said, tremendous, wasn't he? She said, yeah. He hasn't been out of his room for two years. Wow. And I was, I was floored by that. And this is this whole thing we call ballroom dancing, you see. Yeah, well, it's a combination of the social side and the music. I want to introduce someone to you, Anton, because knowing that you wanted to talk about the work of the Silver Line, which in case any of our listeners don't know, is a helpline, which is specifically there to provide someone to talk to, share memories with. It's free, it's confidential, it's open 24-7. And the phone number is 0800 4 70, 80, 90. Now, there's a friend of mine I haven't actually met called John. And uh, he did ring the Silverline helpline. And I'd like to get him on the phone now so that he can tell us exactly what difference it made to him. So, hello, John, are you there? Good morning, uh, Esther. Good morning. Good morning, John. Now, can I just say, John and Anton, what he, what, happened to John is he lost his lovely wife um, who with whom he ran a business that I'll tell you about a little bit later and so he lost everything and I'm very happy to say he did see me on the local television talking about the number and he did ring us up what difference has the silver line made to you John? Well it's made a big difference to my life Uh, it's obviously given me a very good friend uh, to talk to as you know Wilma uh, yeah, and uh, I was suffering very bad with depression, and I've come out of that. And the difference is amazing, it really is. So Wilma is your Silver Line friend, she's a volunteer. What do you talk about? Absolutely everything. Uh, mainly about dancing, because that is how they got us together in the first place, because we both had an interest in dancing. So let me just explain to Anton that actually what the business that you were running with your wife was a dance school. And there was one particular judge when you were a kid, when you were, what, 13, who you feel was responsible for giving you the confidence to do very well in ballroom dancing. Who was that judge? Well, actually, I was 15 and the judge was Len Goodman. uh, And he really gave me a big push. I never look back. Well, that, that's that's wonderful, uh, John. I've I've known Len for a, well about hundred years, and I've I've been judged by Len through all throughout my whole career, really, because my old dance teacher, when I first started sort of dancing, I started dancing in a dance school, a bit similar to what John would have been running, and Len was intrinsic in that, really, because if Len spoke, you sort of listened, really. He was at this wonderful. Len has many many attributes but his biggest attribute is an enormous charisma and when he speaks he speaks in a very very easy language what did he say to you john what did he say to me well i was yeah in the international the albert hall oh wow but i met him yeah uh, marble arch car park and i'm convinced to this day that he gave me a push because the way we think up north here being break it in london if you can get through in london you'll break it anywhere Anyway, six months later, you know, I, I did very well and then I won the British, the junior British, you know. And I'm convinced it was uh, Len that gave me that bit of a help along the way, you know. I love that. Can I just ask you, John, um, 
how are you coping with COVID? Because you can't have your dance school going. Are you on your own completely? Do you, do you find it difficult? I'm completely on my own. It's very, very difficult. Uh, but thank God for the internet, because you can keep in touch through there. And thank goodness also that we have a Silverline friend that talks to you on a regular basis. And, and I've no doubt she enjoys her conversations with you as much as you do with her. For both of you, actually, for Anton and and for John, I think that dancing made a real difference to you as children. It gave you a real sense of achievement. And as older people, um, John, Anton is saying that it provides a lot of social companionship and um, the music helps people to lift their spirits. Oh, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. You know, like, I was never into football or anything like that. And uh, as you say, it was the, the music attracts you. Uh, it gives you a fantastic social life. And you get to dance with girls, don't you? It's the best thing in the world, isn't it? <laughs> the best thing in the world. You get to dance with You go up to a young lady, you say, could I have this dance? And she says, yes. Tremendous. I mean, where does that happen in the world? John, I'm just listening to you and, and the, the, the fact that you really would appear to be turning your life around. What would you say to anybody that was in, say, your position and thinking of phoning Silverline, but was perhaps too nervous to do it? What recommendation would you give them? I first see, as I've told Esther before, I first seen the advert on the TV. I wrote the number down and it took me a fortnight to ring that number because I was frightened to ring it. But as soon as I wrong it and I spoke to somebody on the other end, it put me at ease straight away and the difference it made to my life was unbelievable. So pick up the phone and ring the number and you'll never ever look back, never. Isn't that wonderful to hear? Thank you so much for joining us, John. I know they say keep dancing. Well, at the moment, it's a bit difficult because obviously we're not allowed to get close to anyone else. But do keep phoning 0800 70 80 90. If you need a conversation with anyone and you are on your own, that's a wonderful recommendation from you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great to speak to you, John. Ah, wasn't that lovely? What about that? Have I, it's so nice. Dancing is the most incredible thing. I mean, we think about dancing and ballroom dancing, certainly, as sort of strictly come dancing. It's all feathers and rhinestones and, you know, and fake tans and all that. And, but that's sort of that end of it. The, the real sort of intrinsic part of ballroom dancing is just the social side of it and the joy of moving around with a partner that it brings. It, there's nothing, there isn't anything to compare to it, really. People always ask me this question. It's very difficult. Do you have any ambitions now that uh, you're looking forward to that you want to achieve? Well, uh, I've never been one for that. What, you, what do you want to, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, be a judge, for instance, on Strictly? I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to be a judge on Strictly Come Dance. I'd love it. At least I'm guaranteed to make the final. Um <laughs> I um, I hope you'd be I, uh, a little bit more sympathetic than some of those judges on there strictly. I'd I'd be overly generous. Would be, <laughs> I, I think would be my problem. Um, I I do what I do for for a job, if if I can call it that, and it's what I love to do. And I I want to continue to do that. I want to do more of it. I want to be better at it. Um, 
because I love it so much, really. And so I'm, I'm very lucky. And hopefully in the very, very near future, we can get back to it. Um, and we can, we can go on from there because, um, yeah, I, I love doing it. Look, Anton, I have so loved, I know Esther has enjoyed talking to you. The programme, as you know, is called That's Afterlife. Uh, what object will you be taking to the afterlife? Well, <laughs> there's, I'd like to take a couple of things. I'd like to take a signed photograph of Esther Anton, of course. <laughs> and um, I'd love to play the piano as well. That's another thing I'd like to do. I'd have plenty of time to play the piano, but I think I'll end up taking a set of golf clubs with me so I can play. I love to play a bit of golf. And of course, I used to play a lot of golf with old Brucey. So maybe he and I could book a tea time up there and uh, get out and hit some balls again. Well, that'd be wonderful. You, 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 you wouldn't be allowed to cheat up there. <laughs> I'm sure somebody would be watching. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us, Anton. And um, I shall now have very happy vision of you and Brucey keeping on playing golf. Keep playing. Thank you, my love. I have absolutely loved this. It's been a delight. It's been a delight. We should do this more often. We, we certainly should. We certainly should. If you could spare us some time in your diary. I know you've got calls coming in and everything like that. <laughs> but if you could just spare us a bit of time, we'd be delighted. <laughs> Uninterrupted. 2024, I think she's free. She's got 45 minutes before a lunch. <laughs> Adrian, lovely to meet you. And uh, Esther, I love you. Well, lovely to see you too. Absolutely. Thank you, my love. Hi, darling. Well, there you are. What a lovely, tolerant kindly funny man Anton is isn't he great but you can understand why everybody loves him just uh, very giving and just a genuinely nice guy anyway Esther I hate to say it that's uh, the end of the podcast and uh, if you'd like to join us again please please do subscribe to that's afterlife found on any of your favorite streaming platforms or you can find us on our website, that's afterlife.com. I do hope our dear listener enjoyed it as much as we did. It was it was great fun. But we're going to be back next week with yet another one. Remember, we're reading your letters, your emails each episode, your life hacks. We really want to hear about those. So make sure you send your views to hello at thatsafterlife.com. Bye for now. That's Afterlife is a Captive Minds production and is series produced by Ross Haley. The creator and executive producer is Liz Mills. Mm-hmm.